So we are continuing our series on revival. And I don't know what you know about revival, but for many people, revival sounds like a big tent on a barren piece of land and lots of meetings that go late into the night. Has revival ever meant that for you? For some, time, for some people, revival means lots of crazy, weird things happening all over the place. And you don't quite know what you think about that. And for some people, revival is just a strange concept that you just can't get your mind around and you don't really know what it means when you hear it said. But when we are talking about revival, let me, let me tell you what we're going after. We believe that God wants to bring an outpouring of his spirit in this nation such that thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and even millions of people come into the kingdom of God. We believe that he wants to send a move of his spirit over this nation so that the power of his kingdom is demonstrated in healings, deliverances, salvations, um, glorious freedom. Have you ever wanted to just be in the place where you could just express who you were on every occasion? That kind of liberty and freedom, that is the nature of revival. It's a freedom and liberty. It's where the church of the living God thinks like God. That our thoughts are not mired in fear and hopelessness and regret, but our thoughts are about the bigness of the possibilities that are around us. That our thoughts are about our, our thoughts about ourselves are about what is possible and how loved we are and how much we can accomplish in Him. Revival to us means where the institutions of the nation are not influenced by selfishness, but they're influenced by the love of God. Where in schools, children are hearing the truth of Jesus Christ. Where our public broadcasters are declaring the incredible things that God is doing where our government is righteous and true and not corrupt. Guys, we can live in a nation like this. It's God's desire for entire nations to be discipled into his truth. And why not South Africa? And why not now? And why not through you? Why not church? And we are asking each person here to unite your faith together to say we are, we are declaring revival in this nation. We're declaring a nation discipled in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We're declaring a nation bought by the blood of Jesus, established in his word, standing tall amongst the nations as a prosperous, glorious place where children grow up free, whole, and healthy. Amen. Who wants this? Amen. <laughs> we're in the right place. Because that's what we're going after today and always. We spoke last week about God's presence. We've spoken about um, taking risks in God because we believe Him. We've spoken about um, how God comes and empowers us with His grace. Grace isn't just a license to do what you want. Grace is His presence living inside of you, empowering you to do what's right and true and good, and noble, and fantastic, and great. 
Lord, I just pray that you would come this morning and you would speak through me. You would speak to every heart here, Lord God. If I don't say what they need to hear, would you just say it to them anyway, Lord God? I pray that everyone would leave here understanding more of your kingdom. Lord God, I pray that everyone would leave here today changed by the revelation they hear. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen and amen. Awesome. So we are going to be talking about joy and hope. <laughs> so now this is the time you put your smile on your face because otherwise I'm going to come pray for you until it comes. But you know in the 1980s, God restored, sorry, the 1990s, God restored joy to the church. I was around then. Some of you weren't. But believe me, it was fun. It was really, really fun. But you know what was completely astounding is that the body of Christ worldwide reacted to joy in the church as something terrible. They thought it was heresy. They thought the devil had come to do this. I've got news for you, church. The devil didn't invent happiness. <laughs> the devil is not a happy person. Or a happy spirit. I don't know what he is. He's not happy. The devil invented sorrow, grief, pain, heartache. Anytime you see joy, it's because God touched that situation. Joy is a mark of the kingdom. As I've heard a great preacher say once, seriousness is not a fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> have you ever, have you ever, girls, I know you know this. I know you know this. Have, have you ever been at a, a sleepover party when you were a lot younger and someone started laughing? Do you remember that? Boys, I don't know, did you do this? Did you do this? Uh, what, what, when did you start laughing? Oh, when you won the fight. <laughs> so, so you remember somebody started laughing and how infectious it was. And then the next person started laughing and the next person started laughing. And you couldn't, you couldn't stop laughing. And just as you, you know, your belly's aching, you just, you can't catch your breath. And you calm down and you, you manage to get it under control. And then you turn and look at your friend and she's doubled over. And oh my gosh, it starts all over again. And 45 minutes later, your mom finally comes into the room and says, what's going on here? And then, you know, when the, when the, when the experience is all over, how do you feel? Do you remember? I mean, those are some of the happiest memories of my childhood. Just like that, you know, laughing for 45 minutes. At the end of it, I felt so refreshed. I felt so encouraged. I felt so knitted to my friends. You know, we were friends now. It was such a life-giving experience. Why wouldn't God want that for you? Now, always. You know, sometimes when things are going bad in my life, I just sit down and laugh. Because you know what it does? It just changes me on the inside. It changes me on the inside, and suddenly the circumstance looks completely different. Now, I also read my word, and I also pray, and I also do other things, but... There's something powerful, powerful when I take God at his, at his word and I really believe that he's that good and that everything in my circumstance is going to work out for my good. Even though I failed that exam. 
that even that must turn around and bless me. It's a command. The entire creation is poised at the command of God to bless you. So we're going to be looking at Acts 16, 16 to 34. And it's a real great story about a prison break. You remember that series, Prison Break? You don't have to go and get tattoos. You don't have to shave your hair bald like he did. You know, you don't have any of that. You can have a prison break all of your own. Many of us don't know that we're in prison. But I want to propose to you that fear is a prison. That fear paralyzes you. Fear prevents you from being who you know you are on the inside. It makes you act differently. It makes you relate to people differently. I want to propose to you that hopelessness is a prison. That depression is a prison. That a feeling of rejection is a prison. I want to propose to you that mediocrity is a prison. You were born to be excellent. I want to propose to you that loneliness is a prison. And these are all things that God wants to break you out with great power. In fact, he sent the greatest rescuer ever. And he destroyed those bars. He annihilated every wall that is around you. And guess what? Even though the walls are gone and the bars are not there, we still creep back into that prison sometimes because it's all we know. And it feels comfortable. And that big, white, wide, free world out there seems unknown and crazy. And will we have what it takes to survive there? And will we make it? The message today is for you. You've got what it takes. Those incredibly free, life-giving people that you see and you've always longed to be like that. And so God's answer to you is, yes, that's who you are. That's who you are. So the story goes like this. Paul and a couple of friends, they, they come to this town called Philippi. And when they arrive there, they go about, as they normally do, reaching the lost and speaking to people. People get saved and it's, it's really great. And it says one day they're going to pray. So it was sometime in the afternoon. They're going to pray and lo and behold, they come across this girl. And the Bible says she's demon-possessed and she's able to tell the future. And she has masters. So in other words, she's a slave. She's been held captive by these people who are making money from her. And they are taking her around the marketplace and having her tell people's fortunes. And then they get this money. And this poor girl is held in bondage and slavery in this place. Terrible, terrible situation. Demon-possessed, obviously tormented in her heart. And as Paul and Silas are going around preaching the gospel... She, obviously, the spirit inside of her is going crazy because now there's this invasion by the presence of God. And she starts declaring out that these two are servants of the Most High God declaring the way of salvation. You'd think that would be a good thing, but maybe if someone kept, kept on going around you and said it 50 times a day, you know you'd get a bit irritated, which Paul did. And he finally turned to her and seeing her pain and torment, cast the demon out and said, enough of that. But guess what? Without the demon, she couldn't tell the future. I don't know if she really told the future. She said stuff. 
that people believed was the future. But nonetheless, once this demon was gone, she could no longer do that. And her masters are outraged because they can no longer make money. I mean, what is that, church? What kind of society does that to people? So here, this girl is free and her masters are outraged and they stir up the crowd and they grab Paul and Silas and they bring them before the magistrates and they say, these men are doing things which are unlawful for Romans. Apparently Romans weren't allowed to set people free. And they bring these these, this, these two before the magistrates and the magistrates order them to be beaten and thrown into prison. Guys, if that isn't persecution, I don't know what that's that's like you doing your giving your neighbor a hundred rand and then the police saying you're not allowed to do that, go into prison. It's like blessing someone and the whole of society says that's not allowed. So yeah, they are in prison. And we can read. It says there that the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell, which was like the, the deepest, darkest dungeon where no light came in, and fastened their feet in the stocks. That's kind of puts these wooden things around them so they couldn't move. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. I want you to picture for yourself. If you got thrown into prison, what do you think you'd be doing at midnight? I don't know, there were probably rats and cockroaches and all kinds of creepy things around. It was dark, it was damp, you can't move your feet, you can't sleep. I don't know, I've got pictures of all sorts of people in other cells screaming. You know those horror movies, you know, I just... Horrible, horrible. And yet here, Paul and Silas are praying and worshipping the Lord, and the entire prison is listening. And let me tell you, their freedom was about to become everybody's. Because you see, there was something more going on. Is that freedom is not about your circumstances. You can take a free person and put them in the middle of a prison, stocks bound, and they will still be free. You can chain their body, but you cannot chain their soul. And Paul and Silas are worshipping God and declaring His goodness, just having a holy good time. The story goes on and and they get freed because of that. But I want to make a proposition to you before that, that being positioned in his presence precedes breakthrough. So they had a choice when they were in prison. They could have sat there and 
moaned about how unfair this was, how unjust this was, how ungodly the system was, how terrible it was that they were in this place, how unfair it was, how they're going to go out and fight for justice. I don't know what they could have, could have thought. They could have thought about how they wish their mother had prepared them for this. I don't know. They could have spent hours, hours complaining and moaning about stuff. But instead they said this, we know who our God is. And we know that if we maintain our hearts in His presence, in other words, if we choose to remain in the truth we know, then the circumstance is going to change. Then things are going to be different. So instead of creeping into the enemy's camp and starting to think about all the negative reasons and how bad everyone was, they positioned themselves under God and began to think of His goodness and His grace and how fantastic He was and how, what He had done for them. Maybe they began to tell each other testimonies of all the stuff that had happened in their lives that God had done and they, they began to reposition their minds. really great thing about God's presence is that it can't be stopped. Because God is a free God and wherever He is there is freedom and it cannot be any other way. So they invited His presence into that prison and gosh, that prison was never the same again. God's presence is likened to three things in the Bible. First of all, it's often thought of as a fire. It might seem pleasant to you or it might not seem pleasant to you. And in the Bible, sometimes it's pleasant and sometimes it's not. So scriptures 9 and 10 tell about two times when the presence of God was like a fire. The first one is when Moses and Aaron went and made an offering on a, an altar. And then they went into the, the tent that they had there that the presence of God resided in and they spent time in His presence. And when they came out, Fire came out of the tent. Guys, how cool is this? But literally, fire came out of the tent, shot through the air, hit the offering that was an altar and burnt it up. Go read it. You thought the Bible was boring. There is stuff in there that will wow you in every way. And then Aaron's son, son, sorry, not sons, sons, thought this was so fantastic. They took some Senses. Now this altar's burning, and they, they took some senses with in, incense in, some little containers with incense on in, and they put some fire from the altar in there and began swinging it around. But you know, God only blesses what He initiates, and He had a He has a way of being worshipped, and that was like that that was more of a pagan way than a than a God way. And literally, as they were doing it, fire came out of heaven and hit them and killed them. It's true. Go read it. So here's the thing about God's presence. And this is good news for all of you. Even the, the people getting killed by the fire is good news. It wasn't good news for them, but it's good news for us. <laughs> is that... When God's presence comes, it sets alight all the good things that are in your heart. 
in a good way. It brings them to life. It starts them going. It ignites that. And everything in your heart that is full of hopelessness, despair, discouragement, pain, heartache, guess what? It burns it up and it's gone. Another way God's presence is described, it's described like rivers. And in John 7, Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles, in the last day, he stood up and he declared something. He said, anyone who's thirsty, come and drink from me. And he said, those who do, those who believe as they drink of him, out of their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Ezekiel described these rivers that would flow from our hearts, from the temple of the living God, and he described those rivers as being a place that bring life wherever they go. They turn salt water into fresh water. They turn dead lands into alive lands. Everywhere they go, everything lives. That's who you are. You are a life giver. From your innermost being flow rivers of living water, no matter what circumstance you are in. When you start believing God and declaring His truth and being in His presence, from you will flow that life and it will transform your circumstance. The presence of God is also described as oil in Psalm 45. It's a prophecy about Jesus and it tells us that Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy more than his companions. <laughs> Church. If you're with Jesus, there, you, have you ever been sunburnt? Okay. I don't know how to proceed from here. Does everyone in this room get sunburnt? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Okay, but if you've never been sunburned, it is extremely painful. It is like pain all over your skin that you can't get away from. It burns. It's like, it's like acid's been poured on your skin all over the place. If you've never felt that, praise the Lord. But there's something called after-sun lotion that you can put on yourself, and it just takes away all that burn. And I feel like the presence of God is like that. It's like an oil that comes on us that just takes every bad thing away. And it just, it reminds us of all the good things that are in our future. And it's like a, a joy bomb. It's like sets on fire the, the goodness that could be, the life that could be. Amen. The story continues. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake. Remember they're praising and worshiping God in this, this inner prison. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourselves, we are all here. The jailer called for light, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Awesome stuff. Because your hope creates your reality. Here we have a jailer. And his hope was in his own ability. 
He had been employed by the Roman civil government of the day, and his job was to make sure that the prisoners remained in the prison. And he'd been doing it for years, and he'd been really good at it. And his hope was that when he was really good at this thing, he would be rewarded. But when your hope is in something other than God, sooner or later you're going to be horribly disappointed. You're not good enough by yourself to manage and hold all that God wants to give to you. You're not capable on your own to reach your dream. And if your hope is in your own ability, it's going to be sorely dashed. If your hope is in a government that is going to reward you, guys, you're going to be disappointed every time. If in your hope is even in your parents, that they're going to make a way for you and pay for you and do this stuff for you, guys, you, at some stage you're going to be disappointed. If your hope is in your friends, that they are sometime, somehow going to do something great for you and, and make your life happy, you're going to be disappointed at some time. Ladies, I'm sorry, I'm really picking on the ladies today, but... If you, if your hope is in your husband, at some stage you're going to be disappointed. Because men are great. You know what, I ha I'm married to the greatest one there is. But men are great, but they just don't have capacity to meet all your needs. They have a lot of capacity. Husbands, if your hope is in your wife to make you happy, successful, feeling great about yourself, guess what, you're going to be disappointed at some stage. Because there's only one who can really satisfy you, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 4, 18, amazing story. Abraham, that's his name, Abraham. He is, has been promised by God that he will have many, many children. And he has none, and he's over 100, and he's like despairing that this will ever happen. And the Bible says that against all hope, in hope he believed. In other words, when there was no reason to hope, he chose to believe in God. And it says later in verse 21 that, that because he was fully convinced that God had the power to do what he was promised, it was accounted to him as righteousness. It says because of this he became the father of nations. His hope created a reality where entire nations were birthed from him when it seemed impossible. Church, your hope will determine what you will get in the future. And I'm inviting you to hope in a big and glorious God who's well able to do what he said he would do. The story concludes like this. They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all others in his house. At that hour of the night... The jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, sorry, then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. And I said before, joy marks the kingdom. You know how you can tell where the kingdom is? The people are happy. It's true. <laughs> it's really, really true. Distrust 
with great energy a preacher who never laughs. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. Because the Jesus he knows is very different from the Jesus of the Bible. Distrust with great energy a religion that demands seriousness. Guys, joy marks the kingdom. If you want to compare the kingdom to a bird, it's not a gray, boring, old, little brown job. You know those things in your, Bible, in your garden. Those little birds that all are the same. They're all about this size. They're all brown and black and gray and various colors. And there are people who know the names of all of them, but for the rest of us, they're little, just little brown jobs. kingdom of God is like a glorious carrot with colors all over the place with, you know, just as God turns a little bit, there are new things to discover. It's, it's filled with excitement and glory and splendor and flowers of the Namaquiland and ah, glorious people, each of whom have a slightly different personality and display different aspects of God. And wherever you go, there's more and it's interesting and life-giving and exciting and colorful and alive. John 15:11. You wondered why I poured so much it's because I couldn't remember what that scripture says, but I got it now. You thought it was a deep spiritual contemplation. It was, it was like, Lord, help me. But Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's telling them all about how they need to obey him. And if they love them, they will love him. They will obey his commands. And, and the new commandment I give to you that you would love others as I have loved you. These are, these are deep and heavy things he's saying. And then right in the middle, he says this. These things I have told you. That my joy. Remember, he's anointed with the oil of joy more than his companions. He's the happiest person alive. Jesus laughed a lot. You know this Jesus you see portrayed? This very serious, long face. Looks like he's, he's never cracked a smile in his entire life. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. He says this, I've told you these things, that my joy, my joy might be in you. And that your joy would be full. Have you ever in your life said, oh my gosh, I can't stand any more joy. I just don't want it. I just, I can't fit it in. I just can't have any more. Have any of you ever said that? <laughs> well, then there's still more for you because he said that your joy would be full. In other words, he's saying, I, I want you to have so much joy that there's no more room. It's just joy, 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 joy. There are some great things about joy. Did you know that scientists have proven that people who laugh a lot have these benefits? Their immunity is stronger, they get sick less. They, it lowers their stress hormones, so they're less prone to stress-related diseases. It decreases pain. If you've got a headache, go and watch a funny movie. Or just think about how good God is and laugh a lot. It relaxes your muscles, cheaper than a physio. 
and it prevents heart disease. The scientists should have just looked in the Bible, they should have just looked at Proverbs 17 and heard it said there that a merry heart or a cheerful heart is good medicine. God designed you to enjoy life. He really did. Some social benefits of joy. Scientists have also discovered that people who laugh a lot have stronger relationships. They are more attractive to other people. All you single ladies, just laugh. It's going to be great. All you single men, <laughs> have a good belly laugh. The girls will find you irresistible. It enhances teamwork. Teams that laugh together are more productive. It helps diffuse conflict. Try arguing with someone who's just so full of joy that they just keep smiling at you. It promotes group bonding. Nehemiah, who was a great man of the Old Testament, he at one stage was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and they were trying to get it done and they were, they were battling to get it done and then they, they read the, the law that they hadn't read before and the whole country realized, oh my God, we've been disobeying you for so long. And they were struck to the heart and just terribly sad. And Nehemiah turned to them and said, no, we've got a job to do. Don't you get sad now. He said to them, the joy of the Lord is your strength. In other words, the happier you are, the greater your capacity, the greater your ability to handle stuff, the greater your ability to get stuff done. Your load-bearing capacity depends on how joyful you are. Church, you don't look convinced. And you know what happens to preachers when this congregation doesn't look convinced? They just keep going. <laughs> oh, now you're laughing. <laughs> In conclusion, Paul praying to, or speaking to the Romans said this, this same man who was bust out of prison in this great way, he said to the church in Rome, May the God of hope fill you all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that you need power from the Holy Spirit to feel joyful? How many of you would like some of that? Really, church? Because if you ask, you'll get it. 